0: I don't have any piano in the in the monitor. Oh, now you do. I'm just, just. I'm good. One, two, three. Like we've already talked about, today is not just uh, uh, the commemoration of Memorial Day, but today is also the commemoration of one of the most important days ever in the history of the church. The official start, what's considered the start of the church of Jesus Christ, otherwise known as the Day of Pentecost. This day takes place roughly 50 days after the Passover, after which Jesus died and rose again. The word that is translated as church comes from two Greek words that together mean called out from the world for God. That's a powerful statement, don't you think? Called out from the world for God. This word church or ekklesia is used over a hundred times throughout the Bible to refer to all of those who have been born again, which is from John three three. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And that's combined with Romans ten nine, which talks about our faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Romans ten nine says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. You will be saved. So combined, this means that ecclesia, or the church, is the body of believers that has been called out from the world by God to live as his people under the authority of Jesus Christ. So this word, church, when used as reference to believers everywhere, is synonymous with the term, body of Christ, people, as is used in Ephesians 1, 22 to 23, and Colossians 1.18. You know, just as a side note, I titled this, um, What is Your Theology? Because theology is important for us to understand. Theology really is what? Ology is what? It's the study of something, biology, that type of stuff. It's the study of. And theos is the Greek for God. So you combine that, theology is nothing more than the study of God or what God means to us, to you, to me. Taking it a little bit further, we ponder what theology and God really means to us when the rubber hits the road, how that meaning applies to your life, how you, how you take it in, what you do with it, and why that's even important. Why is it important to ponder who God is, along with what he's all about, for the world, for you? And on the other side of that coin, who are you, and what do you mean to God? God. So we're going to think about that right now. But first, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this group. I thank you for your gathered people who are here to learn more about you, to know you deeper and greater. Open our hearts and minds and help us to understand you better today, Lord. We thank you for all that you mean to us. And we ask you to just help us to grow closer to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. So to start with, we're going to listen to the amazing words of Acts 2, 1-21. And imagine what that experience might have been like to them. Along with thinking about and studying what that experience might mean to us. So it says, Acts 2, 1. When the day of Pentecost had come... They, the disciples that Jesus left behind when he ascended, were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, And a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Wow, think about that. Now, there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound. Now, okay, we're talking about all of Jerusalem here. At this sound, in other words, that sound was so loud that it says a crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians. Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. You hear that? In other words, it's all about God. All were amazed and perplexed, it says, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered, sneered, it says. They they said, they're filled with new wine. In other words, they're drunk. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, saying, men of Judea. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heavens above, in other words, something really important, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire, and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So what do you think about all that? As the church, as the gathered group of believers. And what might you have thought had you been there and heard it firsthand, right there? That's something for us all to really ponder. You know, the the word church was first used in Matthew 16, 17, and 18 after Peter replied to Jesus' question of, Who am I, Peter? Saying, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, to which Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are. Peter, which is Greek, and Greek literally means rock. And on this rock I will build my church, my ecclesia, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You hear that? This is what you might call a confirmation of identity moment. What does that mean, you might ask? Well, it means this. Peter finally gets it. First Peter willingly acknowledges and admits to the identity of who Jesus is, both in history and his own life. Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus, the son of the living God, reveals the true identity of who Peter is. This incredible human who is rock stable, who is enabled to hear the voice of the one true living God and whom Jesus is using as the basis for his own church, his ecclesia, his gathered people. The fellowship of believers who are seeking Jesus and are putting him first in their lives. Just like Peter's doing. Now that's a theological statement. It tells all about God and about what was believed about God. And at the same time, it tells about us And how God is revealing to us who we are. And in Him and through Him, we end up being incredible parts of His story. Did you hear that? In Christ and through Christ, we are an integral part of God's story. That is our identity. If I were to ask you, who are you, and what are you, what might you say? (laughs) Some might answer, I'm Joel, and I'm an accountant. Or I'm Stacy, and I'm a librarian. Or I'm Ross, and I'm a factory worker. Or I'm Thelma, and I own a business. You know, that's what what we've been trained by society to think and to say. However, I would say that that type of thought and theology, I would argue, is actually wrong. That is not who we are, nor who we were designed to be. According to the Bible and according to the one true and living God that created it all, from 1 John 3, 1, I am his beloved child, as are you. And he is our one true Papa God who loves us more than we can even imagine, period. He may have enabled us to be good at certain things and talented, like accounting or art or fixing things or understanding technology or whatever. But the first thing we need to understand is that we are his and he is ours. That is his identity as well as being our identity through which we need to see everything else in all of life. Unfortunately, that's not the way that much of the world looks at things or sees things. In fact, to a whole bunch of humanity, God is an afterthought, if he's even thought of at all. And I would argue that that leads to most all of the problems that we have in society today. People don't know who they are or what they're about, much less who God is and what he's about how he impacts our life today and forever. That whole idea of theology or understanding God is missing in way too many people. Let me give you an example. A couple weeks ago, I was talking to a young man, 23 years old, married with a two-year-old son who was telling me how he didn't know if he'd be able to continue working where he was because he wasn't making enough money. After all, he had medical bills that included over $600 a month in meds just for himself. I asked him, what's going on that you need that many meds? To which he told me this story. Seems that he had been raised by his grandparents, of which his grandfather was a preacher. So he'd been raised sort of in the church, and he knew what he needed to know, kind of. I was like, okay, I'm good with that so far. Well, it seems that he had gone through some really tough times in his teens. He had lost a good friend, and his sister died. They both died within a short period of time. As such, he didn't know how to deal with that type of loss, even sort of knowing Jesus. Jesus. So he had done some drastic things. At one point, he took some pills. He got into a hot tub, and he rolled up his sleeves and showed me his scars. He slit his wrists, thinking he would just drift off into eternity in the hot tub. At 16, he wanted it all to be over with. Well, he was found and saved. But since then... He's been on massive amounts of antidepressants and other drugs that he's so dependent upon now that if he's not exactly on time with them, he goes through all sorts of physical problems. In other words, the devil has him on such a short leash and had him in such total bondage to the lie about who he was, who God was, and what he needed in life, even though He had glimpses of being a Christian. So I asked him a few questions to make him think theologically. I said, you know what's right, right? You were raised with truth, correct? Now let me ask you this. Think about this. Ponder it really, really deeply. You don't have to tell me right now. But who is God to you? Not according to the Bible or Scripture, But who is God to you? In your head, in your heart, in your gut. And to go along with that, who are you to Him? And finally, how does all that mesh with how you're living your life today? He's like, what? What do you mean? Who is God to me and who am I to Him? He said, I don't understand. So I told him, think about it this way. You have a two-year-old son, right? He said, yep. I said, how much do you love him? He said, oh, there's no measure. I just love him so much. I said, okay, now well, let's think about this. I said, I want you to go outside. I want you to hold up your hand and say, I want a hot fudge sundae to appear here right now and then blow on your hand. What's gonna happen? He said, Nothing. I can't do that. I said, Yeah, you're right. I can't either I I can't either. Yet. And yet in Genesis one, we're told how in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth by what? By speaking. He spoke it all into existence. How do you do that? Genesis 1.3 says, God says, let there be light. And there was light. In Genesis 1.6, God says, let there be a great expanse in the midst of the water and let it separate the waters from the waters. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And then he gathered the waters from the land and created the earth and spoke the plants into life, spoke the stars into the sky, spoke the two great lights of day and night. Spoke the living things into the seas. Spoke every winged bird and all living creatures on the earth. And then he spoke the ultimate. He spoke man into existence. And then he sat back and said what? It is good. That's the power that God has in the spoken word. Do you know exactly how he did that, I said? "No." So let me ask you this, if God is all who he says he is, that he spoke and created this all, when we can do almost nothing in comparison, then in the eyes of God, can we possibly be even as old or as wise compared to him as your two-year-old is to you? And yet you still love your two-year-old immeasurably. The same way that God still loves you. And sent Jesus here for you. 1 Corinthians one twenty five puts it this way. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. So let me ask you this. I said, does your two-year-old know how know what you do when you go out to work? Does he know how to sell a vehicle or how to do the paperwork or how to earn money or how to bring food home and put it on the table? Not a clue. Does he know enough that you would send him out to work and expect him to make his own living and provide for himself at two years old? Mm-mm. And yet, how much do you love him anyway? With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Plus, you would do anything for him because you know he couldn't possibly do much of anything for himself. Remember, that's what Jesus, God's son, told us to do in Mark 12, 30 and 31. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. The theology here, the understanding of God and of ourselves, is that love is the main thing. Him to us, us to others. And then back again to God. Love is what makes us tick. Love is our identity. The love of God that he showed to us in Jesus, his son. That's the lens that we have to look through first. In order to know who we are. And what we're all about. And yet that's often so far from reality. Even as believers, we often don't have a clue as to how to deal with people who don't have the same mindset and identity we might take for granted. It's hard to do that. More and more people are identifying with what they do, with what they think they know, rather than who they are and who they were created to be. And frankly, such errors in identity and theology are tearing things apart all over the world. I'll let you in on a situation I went through on our trip in March. It goes along the same line. We sat at the same table for dinner every night with our friends from Germany. About 10 feet away, at another table in the same dining room was a group of six that sat together every night too. Well, as you may have all experienced at one time or another, there was one man at that table who was the resident know-it-all. He knew everything about everything and wasn't afraid to share his extensive expertise with everyone all the time. And he did it loudly so that everyone possible could hear how great he was. Well, one night... He got on the subject of politics, which was bad enough. And then it went on to abortion, which he was about as far left on as possible. And then I think because he saw that our table bowed and prayed before eating dinner each night, he got onto the subject of religion and faith, which moved to a statement that lamb- lambasted us. And it, it, it just was right at God. As he said with arrogant indignation. There has never been anything good that has ever come out of religion. In all of history. Christians today are all living a lie. To which I'm like, I'm sitting over there going, Them's his fighting words. He's mine. In fact, I was just about to get up and have a John 18.10 moment with him, you know, where Peter gets up and cuts off the chief priest's servant's ear because he was getting into Jesus' face. Well, I'm ashamed to admit it, but I was thinking, you know, this guy could easily go overboard and nobody would ever miss him. (laughs) Has anybody else here ever thought that? Come on now. Well, fortunately, my wife dug her fingers into my thigh. And she whispered to me, calm down. And at the same time, God whispered to me, don't worry, I've got this one. Interestingly, this was about halfway through the trip, and for the last half, something seemed to change in him. From there on, he was quite docile at dinner. He was much quieter. And I heard someone say something about His dementia, which was really sad. But what was really emphasized through it all was that it's so important to know without a doubt our identity, who we are, who we're not, and who God is. And then to let life play out in just that way, doing what we can letting God do what he will do if we don't get in the way. Now, God is not asking any of us to have all the answers. He knows who we are, what we can do, and what we can't do. All he's asking us to do is to understand that fact, to know our identity in Jesus and to love him for how he's made that happen for us and forever. We are his choice children, here to know God and to love God and to be with him now and forevermore. That's who we are, regardless of what the world says and thinks and how it acts towards us, around us, about us. And we've got to be able to deal with that and be okay with that. Is that simple enough? Not really. There's a lot of pressure to think and act and live otherwise. But if we listen, I'm coming to realize that that the Father always says, calm down. I've got this handled. And I've got you too. But do we believe it? More importantly, do we act like we believe it? Do we let God be God? Or do we always want things our way, demanding that we understand what's happening before we allow it to happen? Now, God has some amazing stuff in store for you and for me. He's already shown us a lot of that himself, if we're willing to see it, and if we're willing to let God be who he wants to be. God. Like I said in the beginning, Pentecost mm, is thought of to be the beginning or the first day of the new church of Jesus Christ. On the other hand, you could also say that this may also have been the day that commemorated the first church split of Christ too. The day when many saw God's power and believed, and yet the day when many others wouldn't, not couldn't, but would not believe what was happening right around them as it was happening. Their identity was so shaken up from what they were used to that it was just too much for them to comprehend and deal with. And so they wouldn't believe. They chose not to believe. What God can do when He wants to do it. This is really awesome. What a shame that is. You know, when we have a sign out there that says, expect a miracle. The day of Pentecost was a wonderful day, all about miracles. Unfortunately, it was also a day that many of them missed. A day that many people still miss to this day. And they miss the miracle that's in it. I don't know about you, but I've seen the hand of God work so many times. In awesome and wondrous, wondrous wondrously miraculous ways. I've seen his divine math. Have you ever seen God's divine math? Oh, I've seen it. Where... He miraculously takes and adds 2 plus 2. And it doesn't come out as 4, but it comes out at least at 22. I've seen his healing and ex- experience his awesome love come to the rescue. When all seem lost. I've seen his playfulness. When 35 years after the fact, he told us... <laughs> You thought thought I didn't see such and such way back then. But I did. And here's the proof. But you know what? I still love you. God is so good all the time. And he loves you with so much vigor and hope. Same as he loves me or any of us. But we have to be willing to see it. And willing to accept it for what it is. The divine and incredible grace of the Father who loves his children so much. That he would send his one and only son Jesus. For you. For me. That we would have eternal life. Through him. Forever. That's the gift. That's the hope. That's the joy. Let it be that way in your heart. Because that's what God wants for you. You are the love of his life. Think about that. That is your identity above everything else. I pray that that's your theology too. Your understanding of who God is to you and who who you are to him. I encourage us all to accept that gift to revel in it, to rejoice in it, in Jesus' name, and through his wonderful power, glory, and love, today and always. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your love. I thank you for the identity that we have that only truly comes from you. You have designed us for amazing things, but we have to look to you for them not to ourselves, not to society. Thank you, Lord, for being who you are. You are the one true God that loves your kids so much that you send Jesus here to live and die and rise again for us. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done and for all you continue to do in our lives every day. Help us to understand it and to praise you for it. In the name of Jesus. Let's stand together. Bless you, Lord. Hallelujah. Put your hand in your heart this morning. Let God just overwhelm you with His presence. Hmm. Thank you, Father. Thank you for Pentecost. Thank you that today we celebrate. So much has happened in this world because You came. Because you loved us and because you're working every day and we don't even see it. We love you and praise you. Hallelujah. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. Lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.